Hey guys, welcome to Telling the Told and Untold. My name is Tsiru. If you haven't heard yet, I started a podcast and I'm really excited. It's Telling the Told and Untold, just like the podcast version. And it will have all my cases from YouTube, just in podcast format. But I'll also have podcast exclusives, so cases that you won't be able to find on this platform. And you just will have to listen to it. The first episode came out last week, Sunday, and it is a serial, it is a serial killer case. So yeah, please check it out. I'll put the link in the description box below before we go straight into today's case i just to give you guys a content warning in this video we do talk about is assault so if that's something you think you're not interested in watching then this video probably isn't for you so maybe you can watch some of my other videos or just wait for my next upload for today's case we're going all the way to nizna which is in the western cape and you can find it along the scenic garden route and nizna has a very small murder rate so when these series of murders took place in 2005 it shook the whole community on the 13th of october a homeless fisherman was on his way to the post office so that he could meet up with his brother and on his way to the post office he would pass the saint Anglican church which is right next to the main road and this main road runs through the whole through the whole of Nizna. So on his way to the post office, he was walking on the west side of the church where he noticed a white woman lying on the floor. So he just stopped for a second and looked at her and noticed that she wasn't moving at all, wasn't breathing, nothing. And immediately he turned around and went to the police station, which was about 100 meters away. It was really, really close. And once he got there, he immediately told police officers what he saw and they arrived on the scene within minutes. The victim's body was lying behind a stump of a large tree and also on the west side of the church property just like on the border of it there are double story apartments so where they found this victim's body it seemed as though she had just been left there so it's not as though she had been dumped there like it was a secondary location it's like she was murdered there and just left there she was found close to the main road about 20 meters away and also the people that lived in the flat all had a view of the murder scene so if anyone had looked out of their window at the time of this murder taking place they would have been a witness to it so it was basically just a very risky place to commit a murder because the main road is right there as well as flats so this just indicated that the offender the offender probably liked like the risk of murdering someone like almost being caught or maybe it just happened suddenly like he didn't plan it and it just happened. The victim was found lying on her back with her legs together and her arms above her, almost as though she was in a crucifix position, which is ironic considering that she was found on church grounds. She wore one grey sock and it had a picture of a cow on it and her other grey sock was found relatively close to her. She was found wearing her black underwear as well as a black long sleeve top and her jeans had been, had been neatly placed next to her body. 
her black all-star shoes were found on the other side of the tree stump towards the road and they also found two Savesen cigarette buds near her body. Her black handbag was found covered in dirt and once they opened it, they found her Savesen cigarettes, they found a purse, an card, as well as her cell phone. Police officers then concluded that this murder wasn't like robbery driven, like she wasn't like robbed and then murdered in the process and because she was found partially clothed they did believe that this murder had a sexual component to it. 22 year old Mike Dayaga lived in the flats that were bordering the church grounds and he saw police officers and immediately he went to them because his roommate hadn't returned home the night before so he went straight to the police officers and he told them that his roommate was missing and she was 18 year old Jessica Wheeler. Police officers then pulled him to the side and asked him to describe how she looked like and he did and then they asked him if he would be comfortable uh, just looking at pictures that taken of the body they had just found and identify whether it is Jessica or not and he agreed and as soon as they showed him the pictures he immediately confirmed that the body that they had found did belong to 18 year old Jessica Wheeler. Jessica and Mike had previously been romantically involved but at the time of the murder they were not in a relationship they were strictly just roommates. Jessica and her parents were from Nisna and after she had completed her high schooling at, at Nisna High School she then started working at Cafe Siena in town. That same day, Mike's statement was taken and he told police officers that he had last seen Jessica early that morning when she, there was a knock on the door or she had received a phone call from someone and then she went outside and that was the last time he had seen her. So in his statement, Mike described how he had seen Jessica the night before at around 11pm at the door to their flat and she was with one of her friends, Anita, and then then Mike was on his way to the Zanzibar nightclub nearby. Jessica had called Anita at around half past 10 and asked her if she wanted to go out for drinks and then they went to a restaurant called Harry B's and straight after that they returned to the flat so that Jessica could change into a different set of clothing because they were gonna go out to a club called Zanzibar and that's when Mike bumped into them at the door of the flat. Once they got to Zanzibar, Jessica and Anita bumped into Mike and after a couple of minutes, Jessica then told them that she was headed to Stones, which was right across the street. So people that would go to Zanzibar or Stones would usually just go back and forth between the two because they were literally just, just like in front of each other. So they would just go to this club and then see how the vibes were and then go to the other club and it was just the back and forth thing which is usually what most people did. So she left them at Zanzibar and then she went to Stones and then at around quarter to one in the morning Anita decided that she was heading home and then she left. A short while after that Jessica returned to Zanzibar and she saw Mike and Mike um, left I think a couple of minutes after that and he went back to their flat and Jessica was left alone and then she went to go she saw one of the regular DJs that performed there if, like most nights and then they had conversations and then he went to the DJ box 
and Jessica went with him and started dancing with him and then they spoke and then the two of them exchanged numbers and then they discussed going to breakfast the next morning so you know they could just get to know each other a bit more. Mike went back to the flat with two of his friends and their names were Gail and Melissa and in Gail's statement she said that they left Zanzibar at about two in the morning and then they went to Mike and Jessica's flat and once they and once the three of them got there Mike made coffee for both her and Melissa and then a short while after that Jessica then got to the flat and once she came in she asked Mike to make her a cup of tea and then I think she went to the room to go change and this is when she received a phone call but someone else heard a knock on the door so they're not too sure between a phone call and a knock on the door but then she went to the door and she lifted open indicating that like she wasn't going to be gone for too long and then after a couple of minutes Mike then went to go close the door and this is when Gail pointed out that Jessica hadn't taken her keys with her and then Mike just said that he would send her a message and indeed he did he sent her a message at about three in the morning letting her know that he left the door unlocked for whenever she came in I forgot to mention that that same night uh, that same night was the night the first night that Gail and Melissa had met Jessica for the first time. Gail and Melissa left the flat at about quarter to three in the morning and then they both said that once they got outside the flat, the only person they saw was a car guard who was guarding their car. Police officers also had a witness that went up to them and his name was Gwibus Mini and he was a bakery driver. So basically he would deliver bread to different shops around and in Naisna before they opened in the morning. So he would leave George at around 1 in the morning and then just deliver all the bread probably by like six in the morning like he would be done and then return home so he says on that particular night he got to Naisna at around like two in the morning three in the morning and he was driving on the main road where he saw two people speaking he saw a white woman and a colored man and he described this colored man as having like a long face and he says that this man was we was wearing um a red top and some jeans and then the woman he saw was wearing jeans and a black long sleeve top and then he noticed that they were smoking and then he went about delivering his bread and then at around half past six in the morning he was driving back home past the main road and as he passed the church grounds he saw that it was surrounded by police and then he stopped to ask them what was going on and then they told him that they had found the body of a woman and immediately he told police officers what he had seen and the times and everything and then he gave them um, his cell phone number so that they could get in contact with him if they just wanted to ask him any more questions. The day after the murder, police also examined CCTV footage from Stones, but they didn't notice anything concerning. And then that same day, a biological fluid dog from the Port Alfred dog unit was brought in to examine the area around the scene and just to try and identify any bodily fluids that they could find. A police officer also found a woman in the flat uh, who was about 43 years old and then she told them at about 2 in the morning she heard um, a woman shouting at a man and kind of just like scolding him, telling him to leave her alone and to F off but she didn't go and look at her window just to see what was happening because she said that along the main road a lot of fights usually happen so people in the flat probably just like 
have grown used to hearing people fight a lot so she didn't see the need to go check and see what was happening by the end of the day police officers had collected cctv footage a district surgeon had arrived on the scene they had taken statements from eight people and it seemed as though the investigation was progressing really really quickly according to jessica's cell phone records she had sent her ex-boyfriend a message just after 10 p.m inviting him out but he declined saying that he was tired and he just wanted to spend the night at home then at 10 to 1 in the morning there were also there was also some phone activity to a Harad Gamur with whom she had been in contact with for about two hours up until that time. Harad and his friend Eugene had bumped into Jessica the night before at Zanzibar and then earlier that evening she had called him to invite him out however he told her that he was working really late and like he was just tired but afterwards he changed his mind and then he went out with his friend Eugene. Harrod and Eugene left Zanzibar early on the morning of the murder and then the last activity from Jessica's phone was two minutes before half past two in the morning when she sent a blank message to one of the people she worked with at Cafe Siena. This person that she sent a message to hadn't saved her numbers so when he saw the blank message in the morning he was a bit confused because he didn't know who it came from but then he called the number just to see who it was and if they were okay and just to see what they wanted but then the call didn't go through he then went to work and once he got to work one of the managers told him that jessica had been found murdered that morning and then he asked the manager what jessica's number was and then he looked at the message that he had sent and he saw that it was the same number and that jessica had tried to send him a message at half past two that morning and immediately he went to police officers to let them know it's believed that shortly after jessica sent this message her phone had been switched off or damaged because she didn't receive the delivery receipts that the message had been delivered to this co-worker of hers and also mike had sent jessica the message that he had left the door unlocked just before three in the morning and his message wasn't delivered so it was like a 30 minute time window where they believe that her phone was damaged or switched off on the 17th of october jessica's autopsy was conducted at george's hospital and this is where they confirmed that her cause of death was asphyxiation by soil so they had found soil on her mouth in her nose in her trachea her esophagus and her stomach so it is believed that the offender probably held her face against the sand until she suffocated and that's how she had all the sand in like her throat and her mouth and stomach abrasions were also found all over her body and then they also found four small abrasions to her anus but they weren't able to determine if it was before she died or afterwards but they were very fresh so it just happened some way then the doctor drew blood for a alcohol test as well as did a sexual assault evidence collection kit which is basically just a rape kit which included vaginal and anal swabs 
and then on the same day police officers took dna from eugene as well as his friend and then they also took dna from mike in total they had taken dna evidence from eight people i forgot to mention that the bakery driver also saw a bald man around the same time that he saw this woman and this colored man smoking their cigarettes and then a car guard who was about 17 years old also went to police officers to let them know what he had seen on the night of the murder so basically he had seen four people he saw two white men and two white women leaving Zanzibar and as they were walking to their Toyota Taz he noticed that one of the women were crying and it seemed as though she was having an argument with one of the men he then says that the two men got into the car and before this one of the men threw uh, a handbag into the car and then as the two men sat into the car one of the women who was crying went to the window and shouted that like she didn't love this man anymore and then this man threw the bag out of the window and then drove off and then he says that he moved i think from zanzibar to another club just to continue being a car guard because he saw that there were cars still there and then he walked to the police station to go see what time it was and then he noticed it was about 20 to 3 in the morning and then as he was walking back to the car park he noticed that the Toyota Taz was coming back and inside he saw two he saw that the two men were still there um yeah and then it was determined that one of the white men that were there was a police officer and police officers managed to get in contact with all four of these people so the police officer the other bald white man and the two white women and he took their statements and also took their dna the next victim to be found was Victoria Stadler. She had been living and working in Nature's Valley, which is a town near Niceness since September 2005. But before that, she lived in Port Elizabeth for three years, where she was a student at the PE Technicon. She had decided to move to Nature's Valley with a friend, Bronwyn. Victoria met Gabriel Detroit at the Stones nightclub on the 21st of October and she saw him and thought that he was a bit cute and she just wanted to chat to him. So Bronwyn, her friend, went to Gabriel and told him that she had a friend who thought he was cute and asked if like he wanted to speak to her and then the two of them started speaking and they just had a really good time they really connected and then um gabriel left stones to go to zanzibar and then later that night he went outside and he bumped into victoria again and the two of them exchanged numbers and from that very day they kept speaking like all the time bronwyn also says that that same night where she introduced uh victoria and gabriel she remembers like she was dancing on the dance floor and then one of the DJs handed her a complimentary drink but then she noticed how he was looking at her and she thought it was a bit strange and she started becoming very suspicious so then she just decided not to drink the cocktail at all and this cocktail was given to her by a man whose name was Heinrich. As Victoria and Gabriel kept speaking, a relationship developed and then Victoria told Gabriel that she was having problems with her male roommate and this was because her male roommate 
her male roommate uh, just had substance abuse issues and it also seemed as though he might have been jealous of the relationship that was forming between Gabriel and Victoria and Victoria just wanted to move out and just get her own place but Gabriel suggested that instead of just staying in like this toxic environment that she was staying in with her roommates she must move in with him until she could get like all her ducks in a row and she can find a place to stay and then victoria moved in with her two dogs on wednesday the 9th of november gabriel and victoria had been chatting via sms and they decided that they would meet at stones later that night after gabriel got off work and he got off work quite late in the evening at around like 10 p.m so then gabriel went to stones with his sister as well as his sister's fiance his name was rowan and all three of them got there at the same time once gabriel got there he noticed that victoria was sitting at the bar and she was all alone and he just saw like it seemed like she was in her own like world and once he got there she kind of just gave him a faint smile and hugged him and he just thought it was because she would be moving out in about two days because she finally found a place to stay in muscle bay so he thought that she she was a bit sad because they wouldn't see each other as often but she quickly just went back to her happy normal self a short while later gabriel's sister and rowan then decided to go to zanzibar gabriel then went to victoria to ask if she wanted to go with but she said that she didn't want to leave stones yet so the two of them sat at the bar and then a couple of minutes later one of the resident djs went up to them and his name was Heinrich and Heinrich and then I'm sorry Gabriel then introduced Heinrich and Victoria. Gabriel had only known Heinrich for about three months at this point. To Gabriel's knowledge Victoria and Heinrich had not met before. They had probably seen each other at Stones but they had never like officially introduced had never officially been introduced to one another or had like a conversation a little while later henrich then went to the dj box and then victoria went with him while at the box gabriel's phone rang and was his sister who asked him to go to zanzibar he then went to the dj box and asked victoria if she wanted to go to zanzibar but again she said that she wasn't ready to leave Gabriel then said that he was tired so he was going to go to Zanzibar and then he would go sleep at his sister's place that night and then he told Victoria just to let him know when she got back to his flat. Before he left Stones, Gabriel told Heinrich to keep an eye out on Victoria and this was about half past 12. He then went across the street to Zanzibar and once he got there he went straight to the bar and then he ordered one beer and then one shot and then he tried calling uh, Victoria I think two times but she didn't answer and then about 11 minutes after he had left Stones he sent her a message and asked if she was still there and then ended the message off with saying moi I actually really like you. Victoria didn't answer the message and around the same time Gabriel's sister said that she was keen to leave Zanzibar and then he told him to just wait a second that he was going to go to Stones and check on Victoria because she wasn't answering her phone and wasn't replying to the message that he had sent and once he got to stones he looked around for her but he didn't see her but he did notice that Heinrich was still there three minutes after he had sent the previous message asking if victoria was still at stones 
he sent her another message asking her to let him know when she got back to his flat and then he met his sister outside as well as Rowan and then they went to a pub and grill called Old's Pub and Grill and once they got there Gabriel sent Victoria another message and he said uh, SMS me when you get home after oldies pub and grill the trio then decided to go to another popular nightclub called long bond tavern and at half past two gabriel sent victoria another message saying well i'm sleeping at my sister's place sleep, sleep sweet and i'll speak to you tomorrow Mwah. and again she didn't answer on their way to Gabriel's sister's place, the trio then decided to stop at Gabriel's flat just so that they could check if Victoria got there safe, you know, and maybe just see if she had just fallen asleep and that's why she wasn't replying to any of the messages or phone calls. But once they got there, the flat was locked and Gabriel didn't have his key with him because Victoria had it. And then they got back into the car and then they said, oh, for Gabriel's sister's place and Gabriel then woke up in the early morning at around 8 in the morning and the first thing he did was check his phone to see if Victoria had called him or sent any messages and she hadn't and he tried calling her but the call didn't go through it just said that the number wasn't available and immediately he was really really worried because he had last seen her at half past 12 and that was 8 in the morning and he hadn't been able to get a hold of her. About 30 minutes after he had tried to call her, he then sent Victoria another message asking if she was if she had gotten home safe and then he later noticed that the message wasn't delivered. At around 9 or 9.30 in the morning, Gabriel, uh, his sister as well as Rowan then went to their mother's place in Sagefield where they had breakfast and after that Gabriel's mother drove him back to Nisna and then on their way back to Nisna he remembered that Victoria had a dentist appointment that morning so he called the doctor's rooms and they told him that Victoria hadn't turned up for her appointment and Gabriel was just so worried because it was so unlike her they then went to his flat and again uh, it was still locked and Victoria wasn't there. Gabriel then went to Stones and asked one of the employees if she had seen Victoria and this employee told him that she had last seen Victoria leaving Stones with Heinrich the night before. So she offered to call Heinrich on the Stones landline and as soon as Heinrich answered, uh, she gave the phone to Gabriel and Gabriel asked him where Victoria was and uh, Heinrich basically just said that he didn't know and that the last time he saw Victoria was when she dropped him off at Hornley near the library and then she had set off uh, towards the end too. Gabriel ended the call and then he and his mother went straight to Nisner Saps where they were helped by a female police officer and they tried to open a missing persons report but then but then she told them that by law they had to wait 48 hours which is a lie it's incorrect there is no law or regulation that says you have to wait 48 hours before you report someone missing they did still give gabriel a form to fill in afterwards gabriel called bronwyn just to see if she knew where victoria was but she didn't and then gabriel and his mother went back to her home and he was still so stressed and just really really worried about victoria and then thursday evening he went back to stone to go confront 
um, Heinrich about Victoria's whereabouts, just like wanting to know where she was because obviously he was the last person who was seen with her. And then Heinrich told him the same story that he said over the phone, that Victoria had dropped him off in Hornley near the library at about half past two in the morning and then she got into a car and set off towards the end too, but he's not sure which direction she took. Like, like if she turned like left or right like he's not sure but that was the last time he saw her he then told gabriel that when he spoke to police officers um he asked gabriel to tell them that once victoria dropped him off he sent gabriel a message saying that uh victoria had just dropped him off and then she, and that she was on his like she was on her way home and Gabriel thought it was a bit strange because like why would I lie like why would he lie to the police and say that he had sent him a message saying that Victoria dropped him off when then when that didn't happen and then Heinrich basically just explained to him that you know if police officers hear that he was the last person to be seen with Victoria he would get into a lot of trouble because of his history with police and that he he also said that he had left his yellow jacket in the back seat and police officers would just find it a bit strange that his jacket was still there it was still a bit weird and gabriel just didn't like that i wouldn't like it either gabriel's sister then arrived at stones and then gabriel got into the car with her and then they went back to sedgefield where his mother stayed and then the next morning he went to his flat again but still it was locked and victoria wasn't there he then went to his stepfather who had a spare key and then he went back to the flat he finally managed to open it and then he noticed that all of victoria's clothes were still there as well as her two dogs he then called Heinrich to ask if he had heard from Victoria, but he said he hadn't. And then later that night, he met Bronwyn and Bronwyn's boyfriend at Nice and the Snaps, and they were finally able to open a missing persons report. He, afterwards, he got home, and then he called the person that Victoria used to live with, uh, just to ask if he knew where Victoria was. But like once this guy answered, like he shouted on the phone, like, where is she? What did she do with her? But this person just didn't answer and just dropped the phone call. It turns out on the same night slash morning that Victoria was last seen at about 20 to 6 in the morning, which is the 10th of November, a guy who was on fire watch at the Kreisfontein Nazi Tower noticed smoke in the fire break near Nazi, which is a small hamlet outside Neisner. He noticed a he notified a forester who then drove to the scene and this is where he saw um, a car was on fire and had been like completely burnt. He then went back to his office and then he told them that they should call SAPS just to let them know that they had found a car on fire and that they should also call the fire department. And then later that day, two SAPS members went to this scene where the burnt car was, but they didn't do anything about it. They didn't investigate it any further or call anyone to come like take the car away and nothing really came out of it. On Saturday the 12th of November, Bronwyn, Victoria's friend, went to Gabriel's apartment so that she could take all of Victoria's clothes and her dogs because Gabriel was going to Cape Town for a while and yeah he also informed police officers where he was going uh, just so that they could get in touch with him and maybe not think that he was doing anything suspicious. The next day police officers interviewed Heinrich van Druen and then he told them the same story that he had told Gabriel and that was that uh, Victoria had dropped him off. This time he said at 
around quarter past two in the morning and then after that she had got into a car and driven towards N2 but he doesn't know which direction she took. He also told them that after this he sent Gabriel a message saying that Victoria had just dropped him off. On Monday the 15th of November an unemployed man had come across a burnt golf and this was the same car that Saps had been informed about but had done nothing about it. He was just looking for scraps of metal uh, just so that he could exchange it for money and he noticed that the car rims were still there so he took them and then took them to like some dealership whatever or like scraps place and then he exchanged it for money he received about 109 rand and then the next day he heard on radio that a girl was missing and that she was driving a Volkswagen a golf Volkswagen and immediately he remembered the car that he had seen and then the rooms that he had taken and he immediately called police officers and told them about the car and where it was. The detective then went out to the scene and then he confirmed that the car did belong to Victoria through the engine number and then later that day a dog unit arrived on the scene. They arrived at about 10 to 12, I mean 10 to 1 and it took them about like 10 minutes before the dog started searching and it literally just took them just over 10 minutes um, for them to find Victoria's body. She was found about 100 meters away from the car and she was found with her bra on but it was open in front and then she had her white shirt which was like draped on the side of her arm and that was partially burnt and she was naked from the waist down. The district surgeon attended the scene and immediately she covered Victoria's hands with like an envelope just to make sure that any DNA evidence they found under her fingernails would be preserved and then they also took samples of the maggots they found on her decomposing body. Because of the missing persons reports, after they found Victoria's body, Heinrich was immediately a suspect because he was the last person to be seen with Victoria. There were also similarities between Victoria's murder and Jessica's murder. Just like Jessica, Victoria was found partially naked and because of this, her murder was also um, said to be a sexual murder. It was clear that her body had been in the car when the fire started, but she had been taken out of the car and then dragged away from it. And then later that day, Gabriel called Heinrich just to ask him if he had heard anything about Victoria and how the investigation was going. But Heinrich said that he hadn't heard anything. And literally a couple of minutes after that, um, Gabriel's mother received a phone call from her friend who told her that Heinrich had just called her to let her know that they had found Victoria's body. Which means that when they found Victoria's body, like when... Gabriel had called him to ask about Victoria. He already knew that Victoria's body had been found, but he didn't say anything. On Wednesday, the 16th of November, an autopsy was conducted, and it was one day short of a month from when Jessica's autopsy had been conducted. Victoria's body was in an advanced stage of decomposition with severe maggot infestation. There were no scratches on her body, but she had a fractured hyoid bone in the neck, which is common with strangulation. Victoria's body also had patchy burns on the right side of her body. There were also no signs of suit in her trachea or bronchi, which means that she wasn't alive when the fire started in the car. And it also appeared as though she had been dragged. And just like Jessica, a rape kit was administered. And then police officers obtained a search warrant for Heinrich's 
house in Hornley. At around half past eight in the morning, officers arrived at Heinrich's home armed with their search warrants, and then they also arrested him for the murder of Victoria Stadler. During the search, Heinrich also gave them the clothes that he was wearing that night, which included a red, a red shirt as well as black pants. But then the shoes that he was wearing as well as the jacket he was wearing, the CCTV footage, were not found in the house. But he told police officers that they were probably at his dad's house. They then went to his dad's house and there they found the shoes that he was wearing, but they didn't find the jacket. And this is when Heinrich said that the jacket was probably at Stones. They then went to Stones, but they didn't find the jacket. And then Heinrich seemingly remembered that he probably left it in the back of Victoria's car. But he already knew that because he literally told Gabriel that he probably he had left his jacket in Victoria's car and he didn't want police to suspect him. So he was just like leading them on like a wild goose chase. After his arrest, Heinrich was interviewed and the interview took like less than an hour and then he was taken back to his cell. But during this interview, he did tell police officers that he had met Victoria that same night and then she had offered to take him home. And whilst they were in the car, she tried to kiss him and like make out with him, but he declined because he said that he had a girlfriend and he didn't want to cheat on his girlfriend. They then asked if any sexual activity took place that night and he said no. Heinrich's blood was also taken for DNA purposes and they had set up an appointment or a time for him to take a polygraph test. However, his lawyer couldn't attend so the polygraph test uh, never happened. The next day at about half past five in the morning, Heinrich was released due to a lack of evidence and that same day um, a dog unit was, served, um, was taken to Victoria's crime scene just to see if they could find any more evidence and the dog then found Victoria's pants and inside were her pink underwear uh, because remember she was found uh, naked from the waist down. The dog also found a bracelet and Gabriel confirmed that it belonged to Victoria. Then on the 8th of December 2005, Heinrich van Ruin was re-arrested and a month later the DNA results came back with a positive match linking him to both Jessica Wheeler and Victoria Stadler's murder. So this would be a good time to tell you guys about Heinrich van Ruin. So at the time of the murder, Heinrich was only 23 years old and he came from a prominent local family. His father had been the head of correctional services in Neisner and his brother was a warder there. He completed his matric at Neisner High School and Jessica also went to the same high school. He was also in a relationship and he had two children aged five and three respectively and he had been working at Stone since 2001. He started out as a barman but as time went on he asked if he could be a DJ there and then that happened. He was also colored but he was interested in white women and his colleagues say that he was like very charming and he had a way with the ladies but at the same time he had like such a huge ego and was so full of himself. He would tell his colleagues like that he has slept with countless of women 
countless of women both local and foreign he also told them that he had slept with about 36 women and yeah he was just really really full of himself in june 2003 he was arrested for possession of ecstasy tablets and then the following year he was arrested on another drug related charge but both charges were provisionally withdrawn pending the outcome of the forensic analysis of the drugs and then in 2005 a couple of months before the murders he was found guilty of malicious injury to property and was fined 150 rand or 30 days in prison 150 rand fine he had also been under the influence of alcohol at the time of the incident it seems as though Jessica and Heinrich had known each other for a couple of years. I did say that they did go to the same high school and they were both also from Neisner. It is believed that Jessica and Heinrich started getting to know each other uh, when Jessica was about in grade 10. There was also evidence that Heinrich had once spent a night at Jessica's place. So um, on this particular night, they had been drinking and then in the morning, Jessica woke up and then she looked and then she noticed that Heinrich was asleep and immediately she just looked at herself trying to see if she had all her clothes on and then she told him that he should leave but then he told her that she had invited him over to spend the night because it was too late for him to go to Hornley, like to go home. The next evening, Heinrich got to Stones before Jessica, but once Jessica got there, they then went to one of the managers. His name was, his name was James Van Druen. He has no relation to Heinrich Van Druen, and they asked him to show them CCTV of the night before just to see how drunk they were. James also told police that Almost every night or the nights that Heinrich was working, he would be the one to drop Heinrich off in Hornley. But then on the night of Jessica's murder, um, he had taken another worker home. He hadn't taken Heinrich home. And then Heinrich told him later on that his dad has picked, his dad picked him up and then took him home. And uh, the manager thought it was a bit strange because his father had never picked him up. So she just found it a bit odd. Heinrich van Druen's trial started almost two years after the first murder on the 5th of November 2007. And he was charged with the indecent assault and murder of Jessica Wheeler, the murder and attempted rape of Victoria Stadler, malicious injury to property for the burning of her vehicle and obstruction of justice for asking Gabriel to tell the police that he had received an SMS from him to say that Victoria had dropped him off in Hornley. So first let me start with his uh, defense for Jessica Wheeler's murder. He denies that he had murdered or indecently assaulted Jessica and admitted that on the evening of the, of the 12th of October 2005 and in the early hours of the 13th he was sporadically in conversation with her and also said that at one point he and Jessica left Stones and went to a place where they had consensual sex and then afterwards he went back to Stones and she went to Zanzibar. He then spoke to her at Zanzibar, left her there and then never saw her again. And then his defense for Victoria's murder, he says that uh, he had met her before the night that she went missing and then on the night in question they had danced, they drank and they made out and then he also says that Victoria kept buying alcohol for him. He says that she offered to take him home and once they got into the car she uh, 
masturbated him which caused him to ejaculate and then she dropped him off in the early hours of the morning and that was the last time he saw her he denied any sexual intercourse or attempt at sexual intercourse therefore denying the rape charge he also said that he was not involved in burning victoria's car and he also denied having asked gabriel to make a false statement to police then during the trial his defense suggested that victoria had been murdered by the men who had murdered peter helm so let me quickly tell you about peter helm's murder on the night of the 10th of november 2005 peter helm who was 48 was sitting with uh, one of his friends his name was alistair he was about 29 years old and they were sitting in the parking lot of hornley hotel because earlier that day peter car had broken down so he had hired a car it was a blue Volkswagen um, Golf Volkswagen and then the two of them were then I think they just traveled to another place and then on their way back uh, to Hornley Peter saw two men that he knew and their names were Brian Moses and Aubrey Gumuti and then he pulled over and then uh, he offered them a ride but Alistair wasn't comfortable. So once they got to Hornley Hotel, they got out of the car and then Alistair decided that he was just going to go home so he walked to his car but before he got there, Brian went up to him and offered uh, to sell him a firearm that he said he had just stolen um, earlier that day but then he denied and then not like declined i mean and then afterwards he went to peter and told peter like you know like just go home told him that like this situation didn't seem right made him a bit uncomfortable but peter was adamant that he wanted to stay with brian and moses so alistair just left him to do his own thing and then alistair went home the next morning um, at work, Peter hadn't arrived and then Alistair tried to call him but uh, Peter's phone didn't go through. Then on the 11th of November, so the next day, Aubrey and Brian went to Delft, Cape Town to go visit Brian's father and Delft, Cape Town is really far from the Holy Hotel, it's about 475 kilometers and when they arrived at Brian's dad's house, they arrived in the same blue golf force Wochen that Peter had hired. On that same day in Albertina, which is a small town about 150 kilometers away from Neisner, someone found on the side of the road uh, documents containing an ID belonging to a Peter McClam and then at around 8pm that same night one of Peter's colleagues went to Neisner Saps to report him missing and immediately they opened a missing persons report. The person who was on duty that night to take missing persons reports arrived on the scene and then at about 11.30 that evening they also called Alistair in just to ask him like questions about the last time he had seen Peter. Also once she just she, notes how they were like so quick to open a missing persons report for peter but then when they tried to open one for victoria they said that they had to wait 48 hours just a bit weird at around the same time that all of this was happening like them opening a missing persons report them getting to contacts with alistair peter's car was found in delft 
and it was found like with all of its parts taken. It later turned out that Aubrey had returned to Nisna in a taxi and because of all the information that Alistair had given police officers, they apprehended uh, both Aubrey and Brian for Peter's disappearance and then on the 16th of November, about five days later, Brian led police officers to Peter's body which was found about two kilometers away from where Victoria's body was. Police officers also asked them if they were involved in Victoria's murder, but they said no because they thought that they might, that all three murders might be linked, like Victoria, Jessica, and Peter. But it was determined that they weren't and that it was just like, it was just a coincidence that Peter was found two kilometers away from Victoria's body. So back to the trial. So basically Hamish's defense was just that, uh, Victoria's murder was more similar to Peter's and not Jessica's. I don't know why they would say that. Like maybe they were saying that he killed Jessica but he didn't kill Victoria because the perpetrators that had killed Peter probably killed Victoria because they were found two kilometers away from each other and also because they were like killed around the same time like on the same day and like circumstances were kind of similar even though those people had confessed. So... It's like no wasn't by the same person. The forensic science laboratory also testified that the amount of DNA found on Jessica's fingernails indicated that she had been fine she had been fighting Heinrich off. And on the same morning where Jessica had been killed, Heinrich's girlfriend did say that she noticed that he had scratch marks on his back. Heinrich also testified that he and Jessica had a secret relationship and that on the day of her murder, they had disappeared for a while and they had consensual sex and then they went back to the club and that was like the last time that he had seen her and that he was probably home by the time she had been murdered. The judge reflected on like everything that Heinrich was saying and he just said that there were a lot of like disparities between what he had said during the bill application and what he was saying now during the trial. So like him saying that he had a secret relationship with Jessica, he hadn't said that before and then he indicated that he had had sex with Jessica previously but said that nothing happened on the night that she was murdered but suddenly during the trial he said that he that they had sexual intercourse on that day so the judge was basically just saying that Heinrich was taking like all the evidence they had and just trying to make it suit his narrative and he was just like changing his story constantly so it just wasn't making sense According to when Heinrich said they had consensual sex that night and cell phone records police officers got of like Jessica's SMSs and phone calls that indicated that when they were having sex uh, Jessica was on her phone texting other people. So either Heinrich is lying or like he just isn't an attentive lover. For Victoria Stadler, the prosecution called up Dr. Leanne Draver from Stellenbosch University who focused on pollen and basically they had found pollen on Heinrich's pants and this pollen was from two types of plants and these plants were found where Jessica's body had been discovered. Heinrich's defense tried to say that the pollen that they found on Heinrich's pants was probably from like his everyday life, him just like walking past like 
trees and plants but dr drea said that this type of pollen is not the one that's like able like the one that you probably get like allergies from like every time like it's spring like it's only for like these specific plants and the only way it can get onto your pants is if like you rub against it so the amount of pollen he had on his pants indicated that like he was walking through this dense amount of pollen then Dr. Harold Labaskakni took the stand and he was basically giving them a linkage analysis or case linkage. So basically this case linkage rests on two assumptions. The first one is that an offender will display some consistency in his or her behavior across a series of offenses. And the second thing is that there is sufficient variation and uh, distinction between offenders that allows for them to be set apart from, from one another. Once there are similarities, they then have to determine if they are due to coincidence or other factors. So, for example, if multiple murder victims are found lying on their backs, it's not anything like big, like it's not like a signature. So it probably doesn't mean like they were all murdered by the same person. I hope that makes sense. So once similarities have been determined from different murders, they can then look at other things such as like geographical linkage. So for example, if someone was found murdered in like Rustenburg and then someone else was found murdered in Cape Town, but like they have a lot of things in common. It's most, it was most likely not committed by the same offender because they're like so far apart. So let's go straight into the linkages that Dr. Lobaskakni had. The first one was tools. Both women had been killed by the perpetrator's hands. The second thing is the cause of death. They both died by asphyxiation. Jessica was killed by uh, asphyxiation due to soil. And then Victoria had been strangled. The third thing is the method of obtaining the victims. It seems as though the victims uh, were taken away by like some sort of ruse. So in Jessica's case, she had received a phone call or there was a knock on the door and then in Victoria's case she had left stones under the assumption of dropping Heinrich off in Hornley. Four is sexual behavior so both murders could be classified as that of a sexual um, sexual murder so they had sexual themes so for something to be classified as that uh, the themes include but are not limited to being partially or completely naked exposure of the sexual parts of the victim's body sexual positioning of the victim's body mutilation of sexual parts insertion of foreign objects and just things like that so for jessica's case she had been an anally penetrated and she was partially nude and then in victoria's case she was found naked from the waist down. So let's go into circumstances of the case. Both women were murdered in the early hours of the morning. They had both been murdered on a Thursday morning exactly or like almost a month apart. The crime scenes were about 5.4 kilometers away from each other but the central place was Stones. But even like with all this information, all these linkages, it is important to still know that there were differences and the differences could just be attributed to the circumstances of the case. So Jessica was home and Victoria was out at Stones. Victoria had a car, so that's why they were probably found in different areas and yeah. 
Finally, on the 2nd of May 2008, Heinrich van Duren was found guilty on all charges except for the attempted rape of Victoria Stader. And then a couple of days later, on the 14th of May, he was found, he was sentenced to 20 years for the indecent assault of Jessica Wheeler, for the murders of Jessica Wheeler and Victoria Stadler. He was sentenced to life imprisonment for each murder. He also received three years for obstruction of justice and five years for malicious injury to property. Then in 2005, new evidence came out that led some people as well as Heinrich's family to believe that he was innocent and falsely like found guilty for Jessica and Victoria's murder. They believe that it's not a coincidence that Victoria and Peter were killed like on like the same day were found in the same area like were driving the same cars they don't think that's a coincidence they also believe that there was police corruption and that police officers didn't follow all the protocols and that they just tried to find evidence to find Heinrich guilty even though there was like DNA analysis like police officers had multiple people that they interviewed that multiple suspects and just turned out that one of their suspects was actually the murderer so they still think that he is not guilty and they even have a lawyer working pro bono on the case to try and get him exonerated as of this recording Heinrich van Ruin has appealed his sentence I think two times and was denied both times and he is still serving his sentence.